This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. We're going to be doing our sermon text today out of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, looking at the first two verses. There's quite a lot actually in the thought of these two verses. So I dared not push on. Why don't we pray? Lord God, we want to lift up praise to your name for all that you have done for us as a church. Not only this local church, but all of the church, the church universal that has been in existence for 2,000 years, formed by Jesus Christ himself. We know one of the most important things that you did is you left us men, apostles, People who would be the special witnesses and messengers of Christ, who would lay a foundation of the church, and that foundation is Christ himself. We are thankful for this, and we look to those words and that foundation 2,000 years on. Help us as we approach this book to do so in a way of humbleness, ready to learn and submit to all that Paul would say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and to this young man, Timothy. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Dan and I went fishing on Friday. And um, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking that uh, one of the things I was most grateful for is that there are actually some experienced fishermen on the boat. Uh, If you've been fishing with me before, you will know that I am a terrible fisherman. Uh, Dan can be standing there and fishing and pulling up fish for the whole time when I pull up virtually nothing. And so to be there with some experienced fishermen who who knew the course to go, they knew the places where the fish would be, they had a boat that gave us access to uh, places that we could never reach from the shore. Uh, They they were very good uh, people, they, they were very good captains of their boat. And there was a, a, an older man, he wasn't old, but it was an older man who was obviously very experienced and he was very good at running his crew, even though the crew were the people that had paid to be there. It was amazing. It was amazing to watch all of this unfold and actually we were far more successful than we would have been without them. This is actually true for a lot of our lives. A lot of us would be able to testify to the fact that our lives would not have gone the way that they were if it wasn't for people who helped us steer them in that direction. Teachers, mentors, bosses, people who help us, maybe our fathers, maybe our mothers. For some of us, maybe our children as well can help us in, older, in our older phases of life. We children get to return that favour. The church has fathers. And Paul is definitely one of them. Timothy was a son, not a biological son, but a son nonetheless, a son of the faith. And he was a son of the faith because of all that Paul had done for him. You and I, in many ways, are still sons of the faith. Paul, those of us who were Gentiles, those who Paul was specifically sent to, are so reliant on everything that Paul actually gave us for the way in which we were to do things. We are not a rudderless ship. We've had a course set for us, 
And if we pay attention, there is a steering going on as well. The church relies upon this to this day. We are not inventors of a faith. We are not trying to be novel. We are not trying to create anything new. In fact, if you pay attention week in, week out, I pretty much say the same thing. Look to Jesus. Put your hope in him. Follow the words of Scripture. I'm not trying to say anything new ever. If I'm ever saying anything particularly novel, you have no reason to trust it. We have had the faith once for all delivered to the saints, handed down to us from Paul and from the other apostles. As we come to our text, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. This word apostle is just a messenger. So it means, and, and a lot of the times we still hear people call themselves apostles today. And my first question to that, those people or those groups is, what do you mean? Because for sometimes when you hear the word apostle or apostle being used, they mean that I'm a founder, I'm founding a church, I've planted a church. Or perhaps they mean a, a missionary. Or perhaps they mean somebody who's particularly charismatic and they, they have a way in, of drawing people to themselves. Maybe it's all of those three. A particular charismatic leader who's able to get something started and they kind of look after a bunch of churches. This isn't the way that Paul uses the term apostle. He's not using it that, in that way. The way that Paul is using the word apostle is, is one who has been appointed by Jesus Christ himself in order to lay a foundation for the church. Uh, Dan was looking at this not too long ago. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about the fact that there have been particular gifts given to the church. And so the, the, those foundational ones are actually the apostles and the prophets. Now look, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, built on the foundation. So the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For those who are builders, those who work in construction, when do we lay a foundation? That's right, at the beginning of the build, right at the beginning. That's when we lay the foundation. And so we shouldn't expect that after 2,000 years there will be another foundation. There have actually been those who have actually stood up and said, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, in exactly the same way that Paul is. And we end up with things like the Watchtower and Tract Society. Or we end up with the Book of Mormon. But people are using it in that way, they're using it in a way which doesn't make sense to the way in which Paul was an apostle. And this is why it's so funny, because the church has actually confessed for all this, all this time that it is an apostolic church. That doesn't mean that we can have a clear line of succession. We can say, well, well, Paul was an apostle over here, or Peter was an apostle over here, and we can tell you every single person in this nice line and the way in which that, that, that baton has been passed on. That's not what we mean when we say that we are an apostolic church. What we mean is, is that the faith that we confess, the faith that we have in Jesus, is consistent with what Paul gave to us, what the other apostles gave to us as eyewitnesses. 
as those who had actually seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we mean. Our, our faith is consistent with the whole of the church. And this is actually really important. As we're thinking about communion, we can actually think about the fact that, yes, well, it's true here, that the local church is really important. The local church itself is the visible expression of the church. But it's not the only expression of the church. You are not only joined in communion to this body here, but but you're actually joined in communion with every church across the face of the earth, all those who confess faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him alone. But more than that, you're actually linked to something even beyond the church today. You're, You're linked all the way back to where the apostles were. Just because you believe in Jesus Christ alone. And I think that's a beautiful thing. We're actually a part of the the greatest kingdom that has ever been walking upon the earth. It wasn't the Roman Empire. It wasn't the Greek Empire. It's the Church of Christ. He told us that it would go this way. We're a part of something. Something started long ago but still going on today. And we are building upon everything that has come before us. And so it's important that Paul is an apostle. And he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, meaning that he's not just, he's not just any sort of apostle, but specifically he belongs to Jesus. He has a particular task, a particular mandate. I also love the fact that he's like, by command. Uh, Paul didn't choose this life. Not at all. This is not what Paul's thoughts were when he was going about his, his life. Paul thought he was going to be a Pharisee. He thought he was going to be a guy with a particular place of particular importance within the life of Israel. And yet, here he is. And thanks to Philippa for reading that text, we see where it is that he is commanded by Christ. Christ stops him along the way. Paul had a particular path and, and he's gripped by Christ. Paul actually says this. He says, In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 8, he says, Last of all, so after talking about the other apostles and the other eyewitnesses and the call of all of them, Paul says, Last of all, as one untimely born, he, meaning Jesus, appeared to me also. So Jesus gives a whole bunch of eyewitnesses, Peter, John, James. He gives a whole bunch of eyewitnesses. 500 people see him alive. And then as one untimely born, you can see what Paul's saying. There was a particular order, there was a particular thing that was going on in the way in which Christ was orchestrating his church. But Paul doesn't quite fit into that narrative. He doesn't quite fit. He's, he's, he's come along at a sort of a weird time in the whole picture. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then Paul says this, he says, and I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. See Paul's statement, you see what he's thinking. For Paul, there was a particular set of apostles, those who were initially called and mandated 
and anointed by Jesus Christ. And they were going about their tasks. They were doing the things that they were meant to be doing. And Paul was over here and he was watching this going on. And he gets involved, but not in the way that you would expect. Instead, he comes over and he begins to buffet them and he begins to revile them and he begins to persecute them and he begins to throw them in jail. And he even watches over the stoning of Stephen. He was there holding the coats. He wasn't going to get his hands dirty. He's one of the important ones. But he was watching over. But this is the point. He, he's like, this is by command. By command, I'm an apostle. I am under constraint. I have to do this. Put everything else aside. I have to do this. And I think it's, that would have been said by all of the apostles. Every one of the apostles didn't volunteer for this job. Jesus said again and again, it's I that has chosen you. It's another criteria for what it is to be an apostle in the way that Paul means apostle. Somebody called particularly by Jesus, mandated by Jesus, having seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't volunteer at all. He was mandated. And this is all important because we want to know what the qualifications are for an apostle. Paul is adamant about his apostolic ministry because of how important it would be for the church. He confronts the Galatians with this. The Galatians are starting to go astray. They're starting to believe things that are contrary to the apostolic mandate. Those who are handing over the faith to them through Christ. Paul says this, in Galatians 1.1, he says, Paul, letter to the Galatians, uh, sorry, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul's basically saying, there was nobody else gave me this mandate. I wasn't waiting for somebody to come and give it to me. I'm, I wasn't, it wasn't passed on to me by another apostle. It was given to me by Jesus Christ. He says in verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that, uh, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was it taught to me, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is another qualification for what it means to be an apostle. That Jesus, that Jesus Christ came to him himself and gave it to him and taught it to him. And you can say, well, how could that be? How could it be that Jesus, wasn't Jesus ascended already into heaven? It's what Paul means by one who's untimely born. Jesus comes to him and gives him his gospel. It's not good news of man, it's the good news of Jesus. And so all of this to say, the foundation has been laid. It's been laid. Our job, not to invent anything new, our job is to sit at the feet of the apostles. You have the apostles. We don't need any more. We have those who were there in the first century with Peter, with James, with John, with Paul. We have them. We don't need any others. You have them here. Our job, as you'll see through, throughout 1 Timothy, and, and as you'll see right in these first few verses, our job is to sit, to listen, to learn, 
and respond. I love also that when Paul's talking about this, when he's talking about his apostolic mandate, he's like, of God our Saviour. So not only is he the apostle of Jesus Christ by command, but also of God our Saviour. This is where his mind goes to. There is a common salvation. One. One salvation. God is Saviour. This is a common theme for Paul as well, as he he brings up the fact that, that if you're going to look to somebody, look to Christ, look to God, after all, Paul is merely a messenger. An important messenger, sure, a very important messenger. But he's a messenger, he's come and he's brought a message, and he's brought a message to you. Yes, initially to Timothy, but here we are with this text, reading the words of Paul. And what does it mean? What does he mean by the fact that God is our saviour? Well, ultimately, God is our saviour by sending a saviour. That's why he means that by Jesus Christ, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. And sometimes we have this idea that hope is sort of like this, this wishful thinking. Uh, I really hope that when I get home, my, my wife will have made that meal I love. Might be a little bit wishful thinking on a Sunday. It's very busy. I really hope that, that if I get this particular piece of education, that I'll be happy because I'll get the job that I want. It's not like that. It's not what Paul means by Jesus, our hope. It's not a, it's not a vague optimism. But rather, it's a, an assured expectance that God will do everything that he has promised that he will do. Hope that's based on a vague optimism of not necessarily knowing what's going to happen in the future is wishful thinking. But if God has made a promise, it's sure. Have a look at 1 Timothy verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. He says, For this end we toil and strive. For this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. That's what this kind of hope in Jesus Christ gives. It's kind of like, it's kind of like fuel in the fire. It's what actually will push you on. You know, if you realise that actually there's quite a few of us that are getting a bit tired towards the end of the year. Mistakes are starting to happen. Work is starting to pile up. Now, today, I lost my wallet for about 30 seconds, which threw my whole world into turmoil. I walked into here for about five seconds and left it right on top of that. I had no idea where it was. Why do we work ourselves to a point where things start to go on, where we start to get tired, where we start to get broken down? Why do we work in a world of hostility? Why do we work in a world that doesn't actually want to hear our message but for the grace of God? Why why would we do that to ourselves? We do that ourselves because of the hope of God. That's why we do it. Because God has made us a promise. And the promise is that we don't need to have our best life now. Because our best life is the one to come. If you are striving to have your best life now, you mustn't be having many plans for eternity. The hope of God is that which is going to drive you to be busy, to work, to give, to sacrifice, to love your brothers and sisters when they feel so unlovable, 
to have those conversations that you need to have with those who do not want to hear it. To stand your ground for the gospel's sake. Paul is the apostle of hope. He wants your hope to be sure and he wants it to be fixed upon Jesus Christ. That's why he puts it there. Of Jesus Christ, our hope. I wonder if Jesus Christ, your hope, it should be. If you are believing in him, if you are trusting in him, he should be your hope. And I know that every one of us who is saying, yes, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, all of us can go, yes, Jesus is my hope for eternity. But that, that should actually have an effect in the here and now. It should be the thing that actually drives you in the here and now. Is he not only your hope for eternity, is he your hope for tomorrow? Does he actually drive you to get out of bed? Is he the one that's doing that? Is he the one that drives you to love your neighbor? To be in fellowship with the church? Because guaranteed, if your hope is in something else, that thing is going to let you down. Ten times out of ten, it's going to let you down. It's important to think of all of this, that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, not by his own will, not by his own volition, but he's by, by command, and of God our Saviour, and that Jesus Christ is our hope. That's why Paul did everything that he did. Why has Paul sent this letter? There's a question asked right now. As we're thinking about the hope of Christ, why, why send the letter? He's, he's not a free man. He's not a free man right now. He, he, he's, he's occupied, maybe even in jail. He has to send Timothy to Ephesus because there is work there to be done. There are things that need to be set right. Paul can't go. When you read it in that, in that, in that context, with the fact that Paul himself, would he, he, would have, he would have loved to go to this church that he had founded. But he doesn't. And so this man who I'm sure would have loved to have been in Ephesus, he is able to confess that Christ is our hope. Even Paul, and maybe even especially Paul, knew what it was to suffer while looking to Christ as his hope. And he says to Timothy, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, Philippa again read for us in Acts 16, where Paul and Timothy meet. Paul was the, the child of a Jewish mother, a Hellenistic Jew, a, a Greek Jew, and a Greek man. Half, half. And yet, because of the, 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 the received education that he got in the Torah, in the commands of God by his mother and by his grandmother, and because he seemed to have already been in the church, he was ready, willing, and able to follow Paul. Paul calls him his son. Now, this is a, a really wonderful thing, because you'll know that Paul's a single man. The single man has no children. He's just going along, doing the things that he's doing. He, he knows that he's going to serve Christ, and he's going to do it in such a way as that he's going to give himself. He's okay with that. But then this beautiful relationship develops between Paul and Timothy to a point where, where Paul is obvious, he's obviously involved in the, in the maturing of Timothy. 
That's his life. That's his, that's his role in Timothy's life. It was key to Timothy's development in the faith. May have brought him to faith in an earlier time, but at the very least, he's very key to the development of Timothy. And he loves Timothy, my true child in the faith. Why is this so significant for us? Uh, Philip Jensen talked about the fact that uh, if you want to know what somebody really thinks, uh, if you want to know what somebody wants to leave as a legacy, look to the ones that they're leaving in their place. This is why this is so important to us. Now, Paul isn't just writing to anybody. He's not just writing to any church giving general instructions. Paul is writing to somebody who he deeply loved, deeply cherished. He says in Philippians that he has nobody else like Timothy. There's nobody else like him. Paul has this special relationship with Timothy. And so we do very well to pay attention to the words that he says to Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus representing Paul. And so we get this inside glimpse to, to the way in which this, this aging apostle was starting to think about how the church will be governed after the apostles have moved on, after the apostles have gone to their reward, gone off into glory. This is why this is so important. If you want to know what is valued by Paul, look to the letter that he wrote to the ones that he loved. That's why it's important that Paul is talking to his son in the faith. I love also that Paul gives Timothy some propping up here. It seems like, as we'll see as we work through the book, that as important as Timothy was, as, as faithful as Timothy was, he wasn't Paul. None, none of us are. Paul was robust. Paul was tough. Paul could go through it seemingly anything and get up and do it again. Timothy was maybe not quite like that. A lovely young man, a, a man with a pastoral heart, one who would even serve Paul to his, his dying breath, who would give Paul everything that he could, but maybe a little bit timid, maybe a little bit more shy. And he, so he needs, in this time, as he's walking into Ephesus with all of the problems that are going on, he, he needs Paul to, who can't possibly be there with him at this time, he needs Paul to sort of prop him up a little bit. It's very common for, for Paul to use the terms uh, grace and peace in his letters. Very, very common. But he adds another word here, this word mercy. I think he does that for Timothy's sake. As a pastor, one of the things that you need is mercy. Yes, you need God's grace, because you're going to fail. You're not going to get everything right all of the time. And you certainly need God's peace because there's going to be a lot of people that want to take that from you. But mercy. This word corresponds to the, uh, the Hebrew concept of chesed, God's loving kindness. It's actually very hard for us into, into English to take the concept of loving kindness. But it's the, it's the, if you read the book of Ruth, you get this concept. Boaz is this man who has this wonderful loving relationship towards Ruth. He didn't need to, he didn't owe it to her, he wasn't the immediate descendant that needed to. He just displays love and kindness. 
This is what it is to have the mercy of God, his love and his kindness. Significant that for Paul, he's not, he, did, he knew that this letter would not only remain with Timothy but beyond. But this is what he wishes. He wishes grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are the things that we need. Not only like Timothy. Maybe you don't, maybe you feel like Paul. Maybe you're one of those people who's like, you know what, I could go through everything with that Paul went through. Not one of them. A little bit more like Timothy. And they're a little propping up every now and then. Need somebody to come alongside and give a little bit of encouragement. Paul knows. Paul had a particular manner. In fact, that's the reason why Jesus chose him. Paul was a dogged man who would do anything that he needed to do, anything he set his mind to. He's more zealous than everybody else in his class. He knew that the things that the church was going to need is instruction, is encouragement, is the hope of Jesus Christ, that we were going to need grace and mercy and peace. Grace is God's unmerited favour. Mercy is his loving kindness. And peace, this is the, this concept of shalom, Peace from God is, is the very fact that not only can we be rest assured that God isn't angry at us because of Jesus Christ, but that God will presence himself with us. That he will be our rock in the midst of turmoil. If you have God, you have peace. And finally, this idea that Jesus Christ is our Lord. This is the last thing he wanted to leave. Jesus Christ as Lord. It's very interesting to have Jesus as your Saviour. But is he your Lord? He was Timothy's. He was Paul's. But is he your Lord? To have Jesus Christ as your Lord is to have to be willing and be able to respond in obedience to the commands of Christ. To the words of Christ. To the ones that are here within the, within the book of 1 Timothy and throughout all of Scripture. To be submitted to Christ. There's no mistake that Paul puts it here for a church that is starting to find its feet. Even though it's got a few troubles. Even though it's got a few difficulties that Timothy will have to work out along the way. There are those who are teaching error, falsehood, the thing that the church needed then and the thing that church needed now most of all is to realise that Jesus is Lord. And that should have an effect. If somebody is your Lord, they are your boss. I was saying that today in Sunday school. We don't have Lords today so much. But we do understand of what there is to have a boss. Little kids even get that concept. Jesus is our hope. He is our Saviour. He is our Lord. And so everything that will come then from this point on from Paul are those things that we should submit ourselves to. As you read the book of 1 Timothy, as you're working it through for yourself, as we're preaching it, keep that in mind. Jesus is Lord. And I need to be prepared to submit to his word. That's the right and the honourable thing to do. And it is that which gives him glory. And so, 
Are you Timothy? No. We are not the church that Paul was writing to. But Paul was ultimately and assuredly going to make sure that these words were spread beyond Timothy. Every word that's written here is for us. We'll apply them. We'll think them through. We'll see how we can work them out in our lives. But rest assured that Paul wants you not to be a rudderless ship. He's setting a course. He's saying, this is the way. There are going to be some things in the book of 1 Timothy that are going to be controversial to our age, to our day. They were controversial when Paul was saying them as well. We must be prepared that if Paul says something under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no matter what it is, it's right, it's good, because it is the will of God, and we will submit to the Lordship of Christ. Why don't we pray? Lord, we lift up thanks to your name for all that it is that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his words to Timothy, his beloved son. And Lord, we ask that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to submit to all the instructions that Paul gives us. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.